This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. An NGO called Kwasa recently conducted a survey in Slango with the intent of understanding the level of awareness of politics at a local level and the relationship people have with their local governments. So on today's show, we're going to be taking a look at some of their findings and discuss the importance of getting involved in politics at a local level and the importance of having local government elections. So joining me on the show is Prabhaganesan. He's the chief executive of Kwasa. Welcome to the show, Prabha. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. I'm happy to be here. Um, I want to start by just getting to know Kwasa a little bit because it's been a while since um, you know, you've been on BFM. So perhaps you can start by just giving us a refresher on your NGO, Kwasa. Sure. Um, Kwasa has been around since uh, 2013, uh, late 2013. And we focus on a very basic um, objective, and that is to bring democracy or the idea of democracy or the process of democracy closer to people. Uh, sounds a little bit, uh, you know, it's a bit of waffle, but really it is because uh, Malaysia has um, stunted development um, when it comes to democracy in the sense that we vote, but people don't necessarily understand, a lot of people don't understand why they need to vote, who do they vote for, what are the tiers of government there are, and how to interact with power. So since those things don't exist, uh, we have very uh, humble objectives, and that's to make it easier for people to involve themselves in the political process. Because just assuming that those facilities are there doesn't mean people are involved. Absolutely. That's the problem we try to um, tackle. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you brought up tiers of government, and I think that is the core of um, our discussion for today. Because for about right now, um, you know, and, and for the decades past, we vote for our MPs at a uh, parliamentary federal level, and we also vote for our aduns. But you say that this is insufficient, right? Um, that we need the third vote. That is essentially one of your arguments. Why do you think just voting for an MP and the Ardun at the state level, why do you think that's insufficient? First of all, the MPs um, form the federal. They uh, want Rakyat. Mm -hmm. So that's tier one. And then you have tier two, which is the state assemblyman. Uh, for example, in the state of Slango, 56 of them, uh, and that's tier two. Now, tier three, local councils, although we say tier three, but it is actually the oldest of the tiers. It actually outdates, uh, predates the other two uh, in Malaysia and indeed in most parts of the world. Uh, these local councils and the councillors have already existed. And that's important because we're not trying to create something. Uh, in fact, if you look back into Malaysian history, back in the 19th century, uh, in the 1880s, uh, one of the founders of uh, one of the founders of, uh, of Kuala Lumpur, uh, Tamusame Pillay, was already serving in the sanitation department, which is um, which is a precursor to a local council. So. Local councils are always formed initially uh, for any kind of uh, locality, towns or cities. You always begin the local councils, then you work your way up. That's how organically uh, governments uh, are formed. So 
when we talk about whether or not we need elected local councils, I think sometimes it's misframed. We, the public have an understanding that local councils are not there. They are already there. And the councillors are already there. But they are undemocratically uh, chosen. That means they are appointed by particular people. So it's undemocratic. So our Dian Rakyat is democratic. Our state um, houses are democratic. But our local councils are not democratic. And when they are not democratic, it creates all kinds of problems. Mind you, at this point, I would also like to say that the that the that that the first time, the first time we actually had elections, because you started off by talking about about elections, right? Mm -hmm. The first time we actually had an election in Malaya was in the nineteen fifty two for local councils. So in fact, democracy as we know it in Malaysia initiated with local councils. So that's why it's a little bit uh, difficult when we try to talk about is this a new thing? It's not a new thing. It's just that we took away the democratic voice a while back. So before we discuss the importance um, you know, of e electing these um, local councillors or electing the local government um, in, a, in, a very, in a democratic process, what is the function of local government or local councillors? Ah, the function of local government. Mm -hmm. That is a great question. Because actually, when we talk about regular folks, the people in the Kopitiam or in the Mama, they when they talk about power, they talk about issues of the day, they're almost all about local councils. When we talk about drains, grass cutting, traffic lights, playing fields, parking, business licensing, pasar malam, house renovation, buildings approval, area zoning, signboards, where the signboards can be on the side of the road or in front of buildings, approvals of developments like highways, like airports, like malls. All of those things fall under local council. So local councils are the first point and most important point of approvals or design or planning for any community. So in many senses, it is the most important thing for all the voters in Slango when they go to uh, the election, presumably at the start of August. It would be the things that they are concerned about. That's the thing they complain to about mostly, about drains, about uh, grass cutting. So the second part of you, the second part we asked about local councillors, hmm. that's a bit tricky because in theory, the local councillors run the councils from hiring to firing and all approvals. But in reality, because these are state appointees, they end up just taking the blame for errors while the larger civil servants run the nuts and bolts of the city or the town. Right. So on that note, can you give us a little bit of a background of the dynamics of Slango's local council? Well, other than the fact that Slango, just like all the other councils around the country, uh, they disbanded local council elections in about 65, mm -hmm. uh, ordered by the Prime Minister, and then worked on to the change in the Local Government Act 1976. So we haven't had local council elections for almost 60 years mm -hmm. in this country. Uh, for 60 years, the civil servants have been running the local councils. Uh, but 
in regards to Selangor, uh, things change in 2008. 2008 is the first year Pakatan Harapan uh, or Pakatan Rakyat back then won, won the state. And when they did, uh, they said that they're going to change local council because one of the pledges they had was to have uh, was to have local council elections, hmm. but they really didn't manage that. Uh, in fact, what they did is they created only or, or they achieved only local council reforms. For example, one of the things they did back in two thousand eight was increase the number of councillors from about seven to eight to twenty five. Uh, they also stopped the appointments of adults and MPs to sit on them. Previously, in the old Barisan National Government, before 2008, what you have is the persons who sit on the council are actually the adults. So let's say a council will have about three adults and might have one or two MPs. They make up the council along right. with the mayor or the council president and then maybe one or two other persons. That's the council. So it's true that the MPs and also the adults end up controlling the councils. But in 2008 in Slango, they decided that the councillors should be completely different people and made out of uh, party uh, nominees, also uh, NGOs. So they took these people in to serve. They, they, they increased the number of zones, as I said earlier, to 24, and then they put a councillor in each of the zones. And this way, they, they made sure that the population to councillor ratio is healthier. That means uh, councillors are serving a smaller population so they can do a better job. Right. So, yeah. so Prabha, um, based on your survey, because the, the survey essentially is to get a, a understanding of people's level of awareness about this topic that we are talking about today. Based on your findings, do the people of Selangor recognize who their councillors are? It's a yes and no. Mm -hmm. It's a yes and no. Uh, people are usually drawn to local issues, probably would know their councillors. Because if they, if they go for some of the majlis, uh, they have a majlis for all the different holidays. So there'll be a majlis for Raya, for Chinese New Year, uh, Christmas, you know, Tiwali. So these kind of things, the people can see them or if you have particular events in there. Uh, do they recognize them? They probably do, some of them. But the question is, can the councillors can the councillors do what they need them to do? And I think that's the bigger problem because it seems like we present our complaints to the councillors and then the councillors present the complaints to the council. But the council at the end of the, end, end of the day decides whether they do anything or not about it. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into this, but let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Prabha Ganesan. He's the Chief Executive of Kwasa. After the break, we continue our discussion on local government elections. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Prabha Ganesan. He's the Chief Executive of Kwasa and we're talking about a survey they recently did looking at the level of awareness um, people of Slango have about politics at a local level. Um, so Prabha, um, I want to ask, why is it important for people 
to know who their local councillors are. And I ask this because there often seems to be a disconnect. And, um, you know, that, like you mentioned earlier, when we talk about um, day-to-day, um, what people talk about when it comes to politics, at the Kopitiam, at the Mama, at home with their families. People are often talking about local issues. Why is that traffic jam in front of my house? Um, you know, housing renovation, like you mentioned, um, you know, issues of potholes, um, infrastructure at the local level. Um, is, the, is the Taman Perumahan you live in walkable? Or, you know, do they have good uh, infrastructure for OKU people, uh, all these kinds of things at a very local level, um, whether you're getting um, a parking fine when you double park and so on and so forth, right? Just day-to-day grievances that people have. Um, But when it comes to who they are channeling the complaints to, it seems that everything is tied to MPs. If not MPs, then Arduns. So... If there is a pothole in front of your house, who do you call? You call you call your MP. If there is something, you know, very uh, uh, sm- uh, small scale or micro, that an issue that you're dealing with at a local level, if you're unhappy with your neighbor's renovation, who do you call? You call your, your, your MP. It seems that that's people's sort of approach to this. Um, why is that approach problematic? Do you think that approach is problematic? First of all, I don't think it's problematic because I believe it follows the flow of power. Right. Um, I believe it's not important as much for residents to know their councillors as much as they know how councils work. Right. I think that second part is glaringly missing. Mm. I think we're using councillors as a lightning rod, who to blame for. But I draw back to that thing that you said earlier, right? Why did they go to the adults? Why did they go to the MPs? Now, let's look at the state of Slangor. Now, local councillors are appointed. So the state government, the Menteri Basar, appoints them. So whether or not they still have their contract after two years depends on the Menteri Basar. It doesn't really matter whether they serve the people in, in PJ, hmm. Section 15 or Section 14, <laughs> whether or not they serve the people in Ampang, it doesn't matter what people of Ampang actually think of the councillor. At the end of the day, it's what the Menteri Besar feels about the councillor. Then that contract is renewed. Now, why is that related to the to the Adons? Because the majority of the Adons of the state decide who's the Menteri Besar. Right. So the Adons have a bigger say on the Menteri Besar than the local councillors. The Menteri Besar is more interested in what the thoughts of the Adons are because they are elected and they will decide ultimately who's Menteri Besar. So whenever complaints made to the Adun and the Adun raises it, there's a greater concern to it, especially from the Menteri Besar. And the same thing goes with also MPs, because MPs end up forming the federal government or who's the prime minister. And in that instance, a lot of prime ministers in the old days, especially Slango, always the party presidents who also are the prime minister decide who is Menteri Besar. So you can see how... Who gets to control the council, who gets to have more influence the council is based on who has more power. So in this instance, the Adons and the MPs have power. That's why the councillors are, what do you call it, not neutralised, but uh, but no, castrated in many senses. They have all the responsibilities, but very little of the powers. Uh, and, and this is the classic situation. But, but yes, I think 
drawing back to your question again, it's very important for people to understand how council operates. For example, I will tell you this. Most people, almost everybody in Slango doesn't know the decisions are made at the full board meeting. They don't even know what's a full board meeting. It's not the people's fault. You know, whenever people don't know things, it doesn't mean that I, we're trying to make a, a, a kind of a criticism of people, mm -hmm. but it points out that a lot of things are left out of notice from people. Full board meetings are where all the councillors decide on things, from approving buildings to deciding who gets a lot at a pasamalam. And all of this is done in secrecy. Right. And I think that's key. I, I, I like that point that you made about you know, how you framed it, that it's it's less important to know who the councillors are and and more important to know how the local council or the local government works. So let's um, hone in on one um, interesting sort of finding from your study. Um, you found that 14.4% of respondents said that they were or are involved in community organisations. So we're talking about resident associations, village committees, or other grassroots people's uh, in initiatives. However, of that number, only 10.6% or 1 in 10 feel they have strong knowledge of their council's functions, so roles, departments, uh, um, de decision-making processes and budget. Uh, could you explain what exactly you mean by this particular finding? What's the connection between community organisations, like you talk about resident associations, and local councillors slash local government? Only 10% feel that they can strongly navigate the councils. Now, what is interesting here is not 10% of the respondents, not everybody, everyday Joe, the Joe public, it's only 10%. No, no. These are people who signed up. Right. Either they became resident association uh, committee members or presidents, village committees, those who are, who are actively or were actively involved in the at the grassroots level, at that level, and they, the vast majority of them, nine out of ten of them, feel like they can't really know how to deal with counsel. They don't know which steps to take and how to work around. Everybody knows how to find a complaint. That's not the challenge. But to know this, uh, this uh, fine details, like for example, what goes under engineering, what goes under town planning, what goes under uh, kesehatan uh, officer, and how do they decide? What kind of forms to necessarily feel, uh, to fill in if you want to do it? Who do you negotiate with? Now, without all that information, what they end up doing is they're just complaining. Right. So here we have an instance where people are actively trying to do something at the grassroots level, and the vast majority of them don't know how to deal with counsel. If that is the case, then their degree of success, the chances that they get what they want, because they've been sent by the residents, they've been sent by the by the people to go there and get things done for them. They just can't get things done. They're just being sent around. So mm. it's, it's, it's kind of a wall of indifference that's being shaped here. That not only is it difficult for Joe Public to say, like, he really didn't care, but for people who do care, they themselves have it difficult to deal with counsel. So... What would you say is the sort of solution or one of the important um, steps to overcome this? Because you're saying people 
um, uh, uh, because of the lack of awareness, are struggling to navigate. And this is people who actually care. Uh, you know, put it put aside the people who don't care uh, or are not engaged. Even the people who are engaged are finding it difficult. So, what is what needs to be done here to get over this obstacle? Is it is it a matter of reinstating? local government elections so that people have a direct connection and then you build the, the sort of um, awareness and, and understanding from there. How, how would you go about it? It's very complicated, this thing, because there's a lot of things done in bad faith. Mm-hmm. Community organizations cannot get things done without local council cooperation. Right. Local councils cannot get initiatives, initiatives going without community organizations. This symbiotic relationship. But here's the caveat right? Uh, the local community needs the thing sorted. People with bad brains cannot skip flood seasons. People with rusted swings and snakes by the playing field cannot ignore when their kids get hurt. People waiting 20 minutes to get out of Taman because the traffic light intervals are too long cannot avoid going to therapy. But mm-hmm. on the other side, you have local councils manned by civil servants who may not even live in the council. And they have got guaranteed salary from the ministry, Ministry of Local Government, regardless of how the council is run. They have less incentives to move initiatives, so they really don't care whether community organizations work with them or not. They do things reluctantly. Many things just very top-down. So the Minister for Local Government will say, let's do this, and it goes at a snail's pace because there's absolutely no incentive for the civil servants to do anything more than they have to. And the only thing they're worried about is they're worried about themselves looking bad. So the way to do that is to avoid being present to the public. They just send the local councillors to see the public. Right. So in on that note, do we then need local government elections? Yes, definitely. <laughs> I mean, it goes without saying. Local, local councils have occur in almost every country they can think of. Even in Rwanda, which was war-torn less than 30 years ago, Within 10, 15, 10 years after the conflict had, had local council elections again, local council elections are essential to make sure there's accountability. If as long as they're not elected, they do not feel uh, beholden to the public. Right. So one of the, the thing is, one of the arguments or narratives that has been pushed out over the years, um, like you said, because at one point we did have local government elections. Um, you know, I've discussed this in past shows as well. Certain historical um, factors, um, you know, phased out, caused the, the fade, phasing out of local government elections. And we just never went back to uh, to reinstating it. And one of the narratives is is that's been pushed around over the years is that, um, you know, local government elections elections would marginalize the Malays. Um, this is a narrative that is very heavily pushed. How would you respond to these arguments? When local councils fail to give full value to residents, when residents are stuck in jams because one more mall is open behind another failed mall, then everyone is marginalized. Everyone. Malays, Indians, expatriates, Chinese, tourists, foreign workers, everyone is marginalized by bad decisions made by local councils. I think that needs to be posited here. But secondly, an election reflects its demography. 
when you have a sizable Chinese and Indian population in West Coast cities like KL, JB, Subang Jaya, uh, Kajang, then there's a high chance for a mayor to come from those communities. But here's a question, and I would like to pose it to the former prime minister, two-time prime minister. What is wrong with that? If the contention is when a person other than a Malay runs a council, then Malays are marginalized, would then would that mean the converse is also true? Whenever a Malay runs a council, all those who are not Malay are being marginalized. So it's a weird way of looking at things because by then, by, by this contention, you're only going to be run well if someone of your own ethnicity runs the show. I think Malaysians have moved past it. I think they also realize that, that, that people without the aptitude uh, to manage should not be managing and it's not a race issue. Uh, I mean, this is just a slippery slope and you don't want to be uh, caught up with this kind of race dynamics. Let's try to be constructive. You know, in Malaysia's current fractured political reality, any candidate, doesn't matter what ethnicity, has to have a cross appeal across races, genders, and all the zones that they want to serve in. So, so in a sense that we're not, you're not going to get some kind of a, a ethnic uh, superhero likely to win. But 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 then again, I don't I don't want to diffuse from the contention because because at the end of the day it's about talented people running the councils. And when talented people run councils and they run them well, everybody benefits. I don't think people, regardless of color, race, ethnic, uh, gender, any kind of divide would be upset if they have better structures, better park, uh, parking, better parks, better town planning, and better working systems. I don't think people are going to get upset. I don't think people are going to get upset that the mama is less smelly because there are more uh, inspections to make sure that the mama restaurant has a good uh, lavatory, a toilet for people. So bad decisions hurt all Malaysians. Good decisions benefit all Malaysians. I think we have to move past this race uh, narrative. And absolutely, right? And and even if you want to sympathise with the argument that's been brought about by the likes of Tun Dr. Mahathir and many others over the years, um, at one point, maybe in the 70s or 80s, you can say that a vast majority of people living in urban settings were non-Malays, and then, well, the Malays were living primarily in rural settings. I think that you know, is is not even the reflection. It's not even reality anymore because most of the country is urbanized. Um, most urban areas are mixed seats with, you know, Malays, Chinese. I'm talking about Peninsula and Indians. Um, you know, in various um, proportion proportions depending on the the areas and whatnot. So I don't think that argument is even valid from a, just a numbers perspective anymore. Now, Prabha, on, on another argument against local government elections is that elections cost a lot of money and and hence by not having these local government elections by just putting local councillors under like you said um the Menteri Basa and the Aduns and they make the decisions it just makes it uh, smoother it makes it faster and and it's just a lot more cost saving um how would you respond to this argument we can look at, at the opposite way of looking at it right we can take away state elections <laughs> and only have parliamentary elections every 10 years and let the PM appoint every Menteri Besar, local council president, mayor, and PIBG chairman. It will save us 
a lot of money. Do we want that? That argument is a red, red herring. That's almost to argue that countries, uh, less developed countries, should not have democracies or elections because elections cost money. Mm-hmm. It's a very dangerous argument and also an unresponsible, very irresponsible argument to be made. To be made. But I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to give excuses uh, that there'll be new solutions like online methods and then to have elections. Elections will always cost money because we have to do them right and also going to ensure the legitimacy of those elections. But yes, I would like to say the same thing again. I cannot believe grown-up men and women, especially politicians, who know they're playing to the gallery. They know it's a simplistic argument, but I don't think they will get away with the BFM listeners because I think these people don't want us to immerse in a democratic culture. There is a benefit from that. Society benefits from a vibrant democracy, and democracies cost money. It's a price we pay to have a civilized society. So where do we go from here, Prabha? What are Kwasa's recommendations as far as the next steps are concerned? Um, um, like, you know, we have established that we need uh, local government elections. That would be the most democratic approach. Right now, we don't have um, the level of awareness is very low as well. So from in between where we are now and that ideal situation, how do we get there? Well, if you're asking Kwasa recommendations, we've got a whole book of it. <laughs> but for local councils, for local councils, we actually will ask for, I am asking for full council, a uh, full local council election. That means including for mayors. Hmm. I think every single person who runs a, a council, as in the political uh, interest, would have to be elected. But in stages, with firm timelines. I don't want any of this wishy-washy, yeah, in two years, three years, we'll see. No, we need firm timelines and and then giving the details. Like a good example would be Undi Lafamblas was passed in 2019, but only in 2022 it was implemented. So all these things do take time, mm-hmm. but what we need in the short term are immediate parliamentary legislation. If the prime minister or the government is serious, they push the legislation first. It will be step by step, but you can get there. I would also ask for local board, uh, full board meetings to be made public. Right now, a couple of the councils, they actually put it on YouTube. I, I don't know whether you know about it, but there will be probably about after six months or a year, views of about 200, 150. Selayang does it, Kajang uh, does it. They put that. You know why people can't follow the local board, uh, full board meetings on YouTube? Because there's no context, there's no information, there's no narration of what's going on. Right. So if you just watched it, it would seem like something idiotic happening. You don't know what's happening. Only the people in the room know what's happening. So you, not only you have to open up those board meetings, you need to share information. People need to know what is being decided long before the votes are taken. People need to know the, the daily happenings in those councils. You need a public registry of all complaints made by made by verified residents. Let everybody in the council know that these complaints are pending. And then if the, uh, if the council resolves them, then see whether we agree, is that right, what they did, what they stated as a resolution. We need those politically elected to hire and fire uh, staff members in the council. We cannot be passing around staff members from one council to another. And finally, I'm sorry it's such a lengthy list, Finally, I'm asking for all parties, 
all parties in the in the count in the state elections coming up to be discussing about local councils. They should, if they are men and women of character, if they are people who understand the nuances of democracy, would assume they're serving, they would understand. Then they have to start talking about representation, democratic representation at local councils. And if they refuse to, I think voters should ask them. Because we have to find out whether these candidates are progressive or they are those who oppose democracy. Absolutely. Now, Prabha, just before we wrap this conversation up, right, um, you talk about how there needs to be legislative change and, and absolutely there needs to be legislative change in this um, context, right? We, local government elections is important. We need to make um, things more democratic. But the question is, do is there a desire or a clamour for that by the people? Because I think if the people don't want it, or, or don't vocalize that um, in, in large numbers, then the top, you know, people at the top are not going to um, do anything, right? Even if they put it on their manifesto, but then they'll just be like, ah, we don't have to focus on this now because nobody's screaming for it. And, and, and even when you have regular conversation, right, people will say that, oh, do we really need a, a, another election, the third vote, quote-unquote? Um, I don't even trust politicians. Elections are a waste of time. You know, things are not changing. What is the point? Because people are already feeling, some people are, are feeling disenfranchised and, and things like that. So what would you tell people who say, you know, it's not important to prioritize, um, you know, bringing back local government elections. There are bigger fish to fry, such as low wages, economic problems, and, and so on and so forth. What would you tell them? I'll tell them if, uh, if they really are not interested, then, then don't vote. I, I would love them to vote, but if they're really not interested, then don't vote. Uh, democracies, democracies are about participation. A lot of people forget in the old Athenian uh, democracy, the old one, women were not allowed to vote. Uh, slaves were not allowed to vote. Working men were not allowed to vote. Only landowners were allowed to vote. Uh, we've tried to progress. We enfranchise people. We allow every adult to vote. That's a huge achievement for mankind, mm -hmm. that we allow every person, regardless of class, status, and income, to vote. If people don't feel vote, voting is important, then they should have a chat with their family members and or, or decide on their own. I, I find it difficult, but without democracy, there's no accountability. As much as politicians and, and particular individuals upset you, and they will upset you, because you've got to understand, a lot of politicians rely on miscommunication and also for you not to care. You see, some people think when they don't go and vote, they're trying to, they're punching the face of politicians. No, you're not. You're making them happy. They don't want you to vote. Because when you don't vote, then their supporters vote, they win. So in some senses, a lot of people are interested in people being disinterested. But local council elections, state elections, federal elections, and every election, even if local council elections happen every two years, and in most countries, uh, percentage of voting is always a struggle. It's an amazing thing. The more developed we are, it's harder to get people to come down to vote. But it does not reduce the importance of the vote. It does not reduce the fact that when people can get into power by organizing themselves and pleading their ideas to the public, to the people, and get support, 
that that leads to the idea that we, that we get empowered, whether we, we notice or not, we get empowered. Because the, the converse of that is people we don't know, people we don't recognize, people who are operating anonymously decide things in our lives. Do we really want that? Because right now, the local council in Slango, that's exactly the situation. People who are faceless, nameless, are deciding almost everything that's important to us. Every time you hear a news, somebody has died of dengue near your, your area, or there's a, there's a development and the building uh, crushes or a wall collapses because of bad, pro, uh, bad contractors and falls on a child and somebody dies, or, or whether or not there's a flooding and people die in the flooding. Every time something bad happens, realize that all of it, the roots of it, are from the lack of accountability, the lack of democratic presence. And then if you're okay with that, then you're okay with a lot of bad things. I, I cannot decide for adult Malaysians, but adult <laughs> Malaysians have to own up, or not, the country hasn't grown up. On that note, Prabha, thank you so much for joining me today. That was Prabha Ganesan. He's the Chief Executive of Kwasa. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.